Can you believe it? Seven-part series, roof done today. I'm actually kind of sad because it's my, one of my favorite Old Testament books. I love it because the whole gospel story is in, in the book of Ruth. And uh, just time goes so fast, doesn't it? I mean, like I said earlier, we're nearly in March, two months off the calendar of 2024, already gone. It's like, where does time go? See, my hope and prayer during this sermon series, though, and, and as we wrap up it today is that this little book, sandwiched between Judges and 1 Samuel, has helped you get closer to God and helped you to trust Him more. See, over the past six lessons, we've wrestled with some uh, tough things, especially the sovereignty of God. See, my hope and prayer is, is that you realize that God's sovereignty is not like a crappy cell phone service. You know... You know the, com- the commercial. Is he sovereign now? Is he sovereign over here? You know, he is sovereign everywhere. We must realize that God is sovereign everywhere and all the time. And God has never, ever lost control. There's not been a tight time in history that God has never been in control. He's always been in control. People say, well, what, what about how the devil slipped, slipped in? He knew it was going to happen before it happened, and he allowed it to happen. He allowed it to happen. That's, that, sometimes when I say that, I say it out loud, and I'm thinking... Wow, he allowed it. But here's the deal. He allowed it. I mean, the text that, that, that Bob read so nicely, when he says God is in the depths, when he says sure, it is the depths of hell. By the way, people go, well, if you go, go to hell, God's not there. Actually, you just don't know God's there because God is everywhere. God is everywhere You are separated from him. But he is everywhere. You cannot get away from him. He is everywhere. See, we must realize that he's sovereign. And that uh, God is not like it when you're like... our. Have you ever been driving down the road and you're driving and you've got your, your phone, hopefully you're not on your phone this way, you've got it through your car uh, system and you're talking to somebody and suddenly they're disappeared because you just happened to either switch towers or there is no more tower. You've just run out of tower and now you, you've lost service. That's not how God works. And God is not only sovereign, he is sovereign over all creation, the whole universe. The moon can't move without God saying move. The sun can't move without God saying move. The world doesn't spin without God saying spin. Everything is his to control. Everything is under his authority. 
So this week as we come to a close, we'll be in the last 10 verses of chapter 4. See, I personally love the way this book ends. It ends like some movies. You know, they, you, you watch a movie and it ends and then they fast forward to what it looks like in the future. And how it, it, it is in their future of the, you've watched the movie, they jump forward 10 years and show you how, how everything is going. This is what this book does. It jumps forward. You see, what has taken place in the last six weeks of our study all happened uh, in a few months. That's it. Everything happened that we've gone through in a few months. It wasn't like years. It was months. It's like how I met Shelley. I met her eight days after I came to America. This is not before Christian. I moved in with her 15 days later. And we got married three months later. This happened even faster than that. This happened even faster than that. So, before we start digging in to chap, uh, the last 10 verses of Ruth, I want to read you the hymn or poem by William Kopar. And it's called, you see, if you Google search it, you can Google search light shining out of darkness or God moves in mysterious ways. Because, because that is... The title. There's two titles for the same, same song. And it goes like this. God moves in mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds. Or of never failing skill. He treasures up his bright design and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judges, judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purpose will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err. Scan his work in vain. God God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. See, in the last week's, in last week's sermon, we saw how Boaz dealt shrewdly with Mr. So-and-so. So now, he has the ability to redeem Naomi and Ruth. He can legalize the contract and make a public declaration of his intention to redeem the land and marry Ruth. See, in that last section, we we see the consumption of God's plan working through this entire book of Ruth. As as readers of this book, we've been blessed with a bird's eye view of what God has been up to and what he is in store for Boaz and Ruth. See, so let's open 
Ruth, one last time. Chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. See, Boaz took Ruth. That sounds really harsh, actually, by the way. When you say it like that, doesn't it? It says, Boaz took her. Me, caveman. Me, one woman. But this word took isn't saying Boaz stole her or forced Ruth to marry him. That is not what happened here. You see, in the Bible, when this phrase is used, it means they were married and the two became one. See, it goes on to say, doesn't it? He went into her. This means they had sexual relations, if you didn't know, by the way. When it says that in the Bible, it means they had sex. Okay? Just to clear it up, if you didn't know that, that's what it means. Okay? They're just, they're just, actually, if you read the Bible, by the way, in its original language, it is full of cuss words, just so you know. For those who say don't cuss, uh, the Bible has some profanity in it, if we can read the original language. So, yeah. Yep. It's been cleaned up for our ears. I mean, (laughs) the Song of Solomon was not even be allowed to be read by an immature boy. He could not read that until he became a man, that scripture, because it is so provocative. See, but note the order. Marry, sex. Notice, marry, sex. That's the order that God says it should come in. Not me, God. See, they first became husband and wife. Then the two could dode, is the Hebrew word, dode, which is a very intimate Hebrew word. You should, you should remember that word. That should be in your, all you men out there, if you're married, that should be in your vocabulary. Because that is the very intimate word. It means the mingling of souls. That is why you're supposed to wait until marriage. Because when you have sex with somebody, your souls are mingling. That's the Bible. God created us. That's what he planned. See, literally, the two become one person. See, what we have done, though, is because of the fall, is to make sex about attempting to be, to selfishly satisfy our own sexual desires and urges. See, this is contrary of what God designed sex to be. See, you see, God intended sex to be the consummation of a close and personal relationship within the marriage covenant. And before you say that I'm trying to take the fun out of sex, okay, remember I told you, and I always tell you, 
I believe every word in Scripture. Every single word in Scripture. And some of you might blush right now. Just a heads up. The word says God created man and woman. Doesn't it? We all in agreement that, that the Bible says that. Are we all in agreement that, that we believe that? Okay. Well, why did he put certain things on women and certain things on men that make sex pleasurable? Do you, do you, I mean, for anybody who thinks that it wasn't supposed to be pleasurable and God was a killjoy, has to wonder, what, did the devil sneak in and add a few parts? But he didn't. God designed man and woman. So God is not a killjoy when it comes to sex. Okay, that's just a side note there. That, that God just wants it between one man and one woman that are united in marriage. That's God's plan. And that's why when we do not follow God's plan, it goes awry. Something happens. Relationships don't work. See, however, in the Bible, sexual relations were designed not just for pleasure, but just as importantly for reproduction. So Boaz are intimate. So Ruth and Boaz are intimate, and guess what? Ba boom! Ruth gets pregnant. See, God's providence is just being highlighted again. By the way, because we're like, bam! They had sex. They got pregnant. Big. That's that's not a normal. She was married to Malion for 10 years having sex. No baby. No baby. Married 10 years roughly to Malion. No sex. But she marries Boaz. They sleep together one night. Boom! She's pregnant. Who do you think's in control? I knitted you together in your mother's womb. God. God's in control. You see, that on a side note, here's two points. The first is, we see that life begins at conception. And two, it comes from God. So in a world where we take life for granted and abort children at a rate of one child per every two seconds in this world. One child per every two seconds is being killed in this world. See? As Christians, we should know where life begins and when it begins. In this verse, in verse 10, when Boaz says he would redeem Ruth and marry her, he called her Ruth the Moabite. By the way, that was the last time that Ruth was ever referred to as a Moabite. Never again. 
Now Ruth is Ruth, the wife of Boaz and the mother of Obed. You see, God gives us a new identity. God gives us a new identity. The old identity died and the new identity came. You see, remember Naomi, her name means pleasant, but she changed her name to bitter, and now her name is Naomi again, which means pleasant. He gave her back her name. Have you ever considered, we sing this song all the time, Matthew West's song, Hello, My Name Is. Have you ever considered, you see, here's my problem with with worship, by the way. We sing these songs all the time. And most of us just sing them. We're not thinking about what the words mean or what we're actually singing. That's why I actually am a toss-up. I think I prefer... This, this, this is different than, than Pastor David. I prefer old hymns, by the way, myself personally, than the new songs. Because to me, a good 50 plus percent of the new songs are about me. They're not about God. They're about how God loves me. How God does this for me. They're all about me. So when we sing them songs, who do you think God is in them songs? Me or you. That's why I'm not a big fan of any of the Christian radio stations. Because I listen to the songs. I listen to the words of the songs and go, wow, I could go home and sing that to Shelley and it would mean exactly the same. I mean, there's a problem when you can sing a song that we're supposed to be singing to God and then sing it to somebody who's so special to you that that it would mean the same thing. That's why we get away with having Christian stations, by the way. Because they offend nobody. But I like the, 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 this song because I like what it does. It says, hello, my name is Regret. This is like walking through the steps of, of realizing that you found, Jesus found you and you're saved. Because first your name's Regret, you know. And you've got that whisper in your ear. You're worthless. You mean Nothing. Basically, this is what the song's talking about. You're defeated. You're not a winner. You can't win. Yourself's going to drag you back down. But at the very end of the the song, it says, Hello, my name is child of the one true king. That's a new identity. You've got a new identity, not because of anything you've done. You still suck. You've got a new identity because you've put your faith and trust in the one who can 
change you. Because guess why he can change you? Because he created you. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He formed you. So guess what? He knows what needs to be fixed. He knows what needs to be fixed. He knows what sin has done to your life. And he's the only one who can change you. But I love the song because it says, I'm a child of the one true king. It turns you back to God. Who God is. He's the savior. And the last line says, What love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called his children. It points out in the song that you don't deserve it. See, but we just come to church, we sing the songs, we go on, we do the communion, we listen to the sermon, and we've paid our hell insurance so we can go out and do whatever we want. By the way, that is a big portion of the churches in America today. That's a big portion. The churches are being polluted, watered down. They're full of goats and not sheep. Because the message, everybody wants you to water down the message. They want it, oh, don't offend anybody. Don't, don't, don't actually preach God's word. Because you might offend somebody. So let's do a sermon series on, hey, the Super Bowl commercials. I'm not, that's true, that just happened. Hey, me and Andrew are going to tag team and we're going to play it like a football game. So we're going to kick the Bible. That happened just two weeks ago in a mega church with, ten, with thousands of people in the church watching the Bible being kicked. They did not know Jesus. And there's a bunch of goats in that church being led astray because they want fun and not the word. See, when God gives you a no identity, he, want, he makes you crave his word. He makes you want his word. That's what he does. He goes on. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. The name, they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. See, our plans are too small. Our plans are too small. 
They are. We, we think too small all the time. We can't do that because we don't have this. See, here's what I know. Is I'm standing here today. In a country I wasn't born in. That wasn't, I'm sure, my parents' plan. I know everything that's happened to me my whole life. I can look back and go, God was there, God was there, God was there. I couldn't see it when it was happening. Born in 1970, my dad left in 1977 to come to Rockford, Illinois, of all places in the world. Of all places. We used to, I used to tell people he lived in Chicago because it sounded better. It was cool to live in Chicago. Rockford, nobody knew what Rockford was. You know, and actually, I'd never seen Rockford on anything until I bought an S-Wing Hammer when I was 16 doing my apprenticeship, and it said, Made in Rockford, Illinois. I was so proud of that label, I kept it, because that's where my dad lived, and uh, I also paid a lot more money than it would have cost me to buy one in Rockford, Illinois. I can tell you that. Americans know how to get their money. So anyway, so that happened. I'm stuck in England because my mom didn't like it here, so she took us all back. Then, this is all God's plan. Raised me there, let me go through everything that I've been through. Saved me a couple of three times because I'm an idiot and did stupid stuff. And I should have been dead several times, but he saved me. And at the time, you'd go, for what? But now I know, you see. So then I come. I'm just going to be 21. I come to America. My plan was to live in America. You see, this is why I said our plans are too small. My plan was to stay six months with my dad and travel around America for six months. No. God had me meet Shelley. Even though he doesn't agree with what we did, he still had her work in my life. And then he had her, uh, her dad and her mom work in my life. And then her dad died. And then I'm at a funeral. I told my wife I'd never step foot in church and here I am. First Sunday, 2003, after the funeral, I said, we're going to church. I want to find what this crazy Jesus is all about. You know, there's got to be something more than this. And we sat in this church. And I've missed very, many, very few Sundays since then. Because I've got a personality that I'm one way or the other. I'm all in or all out. You're going to get me all of me or none of me. That's the way I am. Just heads up. This is what happens. Did I hit the screen? Doesn't matter anyway. This is what happens. God had a bigger plan for my life, didn't he? I had a plan. I was just going to travel around America, do some unquestionable things, and, and just like work for people and uh, work illegally, by the way. 
so I could pay for places to sleep. If it was in a tent, that was, not, that was cool with me. I just wanted to see America. I was going to hitchhike around America at 21. That's my plan. I thought that was a good plan. Go back to England. Go back to work. I didn't go back to England for three years. And a child later. Well, three children. Two stepchildren. And we had one together. So that's three children. Three years. So we decided to go back visit my mum. Still no church. Then this happened. And now I'm here. Because God's plan's bigger. And I actually think he's still got lots more for me. I don't think he's done yet. And you know what? In, in 20 years from now, I'll be looking back at my life, hopefully. Or I'll be with Jesus. Either way, I'm cool. Uh, but uh, I'll be looking back at my life and going, wow, I can't imagine you did that in my life. Even my dad's death, he used even my dad's care he's used. I've poured into more people's lives because my dad died. I've been out of witness to more people because my dad had the care he had and he passed away. All God's plan. He's amazing. We've just got to realize how amazing he is and trust him with our lives. See, it, the text goes on. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered, fathered Amidab. Amidab fathered Nishon. Nishon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. You see, this genealogy is very important. This is the jaw-dropping finale of the book of Ruth. This is the climax of the book of Ruth. You see, for us, though, not so much. You know why? We're like, boring. We usually, if you're honest, if you're honest, you skip over the lists of names in the Bible. You'll be reading a passage and there'll be like 400 names and you'll skip over them. By the way, just going to tell you, according to Paul, all Scripture, all Scripture, even those names are important. All Scripture. See, we skip over them, but we don't realize how important they are. For the author of Ruth, this is a very important intention, uh, intentionally part of the book. He wanted you to know what was happening. You know, nobody really knows who penned Ruth, but I've got a, I've got a sneaking suspicion that it was somebody like David, that it was, his grandma was telling him this story of how he came about. His grandma was holding him and she would tell him the story. You know, you wouldn't believe this. You know, I'm really a Moabite, but not, they don't call me that anymore. You know, but I'm going to tell you this story. And, 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 and I look at that thing and think, wow, wouldn't that be amazing? You know, how, how do you think that impacted David's life? If this is because it, she, she, she's his grandma, you know. See, 
What he's doing here, though, the author of, of the book, is pointing us beyond Naomi, beyond Ruth, beyond Boaz, beyond Obad, Obed, to see and raise the curtain on God's generational spanning plan. No, because Obad's significance, the significance of this little baby boy, is far greater than any of them realize. Do you think, they don't realize how important. They, do you know what they think right now? Woohoo! Naomi's like, we're redeemed! We're redeemed! I got somebody to pass on all my land to. Obed is going to pass on. I'm going to pass all my land to Obed. It's awesome now. We've been redeemed. We're never going to have to struggle now. That's what she was thinking, by the way. She was happy, fully blowing up with the sovereignty. I believe at this point she's like, wow, there really is a God. This was probably her real aha moment. That she realized that God was real. See, this is why we have this genealogy. The author lifts our gaze to see the larger picture. See, God has a cosmic plan which is bigger than the redemption of Naomi and Ruth. There is a story which is the story of God's sovereign grace on our lives. And is a part of a much larger story. A meta-narrative. A big story that connects all the little stories together. See, remember this took place during the judges era. When everyone did was what was fit in their own eyes. This was not a good time for the Jewish people. This is not a good time for them. They were not behaving very well. They were in desperate need of a king. They were leading however they wanted. It was pure chaos during this time. A horrible cycle of sin and rebellion even in those horrible times. God was still preserving a remnant, a little remnant of faithful people. A faithful line. Not with conquerors, but with humble, hard-working people who he is using for his own purposes. You know, that's the thing about this story. We go, wow, God bless them. Really, God's using them to glorify himself. God has been preparing the way for King David. Even though these, through these dark, ugly days, he was preserving a godly line of rich heritage. See, not only that, but God brought a Moabite woman into the lineage of David and Jesus. That is important. That is so important for us. You see, God is telling us something. Something important, something significant about his global purposes. See, even, and even as we read in the genealogy in Matthew, when there was two, there's three women mentioned. One was Rahab the prostitute. 
who, guess, guess whose mother she was? Anybody know whose mom she was? Boaz. Very good. Boaz. Boaz is... It explains a lot, if you know that, doesn't it? How, Bo, how Boaz treated outsiders. His mom was a prostitute. Now you know why he's got the love for Ruth from the, sto- the whole story. When you realize who Boaz is, and he is, he, his mother was a prostitute, you go, makes sense. It really does. It makes sense that Boaz was the kind of guy he was because he was raised. The way he was raised. And then Ruth the Moabite. Two people, by the way, if you ask the Israelites and the Jewish people, should not be in the lineage of God, of God, God's family. The king, King David, really, it blows my mind that there is any discrepancy against that God didn't love the Gentiles. He loved them in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. He was reaching for them in the Old Testament as he's reaching for them today. See, God is telling us here, he wants to bring people like this into his story. That's why he can use a broken human being with lots of flaws. fails all the time to stand here and preach his word. Not because I'm good. Not because I've got anything special. Because I'm far from that. I consider myself like Paul. The utmost sinner. I'm not perfect and never going to be perfect. But he came for me like he came for you. See, in Ruth and Rahab, we see a rich legacy of grace for sinners. We see foreigners welcomed, sinners forgiven, enemies reconciled, and grace given. You see, the lineage of Jesus isn't a heritage of rich, healthy, successful, righteous people. But it is a heritage of of seeing God's grace to sinners and outcasts like you and me. These people are Jesus' family. You think you belong to a dysfunctional family? Meet Jesus's. Woo! He's got us all beat. He's got us all beat. And by the way, Jesus didn't hide. From his lineage. It was written in scripture. Read Matthew 1. And you'll see. He doesn't hide from his past. It's a heritage of seeing God's grace for sinners and outcasts. Like you and me. Reconciled by not what we do. Not because we're good. Not because we're nice people. Because there's no good people. There's no nice people. We all stink in them areas. There's lost people and found people. That's what there is. There's lost and found. And if you've accepted Christ as your personal savior, you are on the found team. Not because you did anything. 
because he did everything. You are reconciled by God's amazing grace. And while Naomi and Ruth and Boaz only see a baby boy named Obed, we see that God is weaving together a great narrative that displays his glorious grace and kindness. His said. Remember, I've been using that word, said. It's the Hebrew word for covenant grace and love. It means a lot more than that. But it's everything about God. How much he cares for you. This story is much bigger than any of them could know and see. And by the way, your story is the same. It's much bigger than you'll ever imagine. You see, the best is yet to come. See, this is also true of us as well. God has a much bigger plan than we realize. A much bigger picture than you will ever realize. Naomi and Ruth went through deep loss and incredible joy. But what they didn't know was God was preparing the way for a godly king in Israel. Even more important than that was that through that line, Jesus would be born. And this is part of God's larger story of the lives of Ruth and Naomi. See, your life, your struggles, your pain, your joys, your pleasure are not about you. They don't end with you and they didn't begin with you. When you and I think our lives, of our lives, We don't usually get past our kids, and if we're lucky, our grandkids. That's it. We think of our work, our retirement, our security, and we think of where we want to live and how we want to live. We think about our lives through a narrow perspective. See, we look at every event and every issue and say to ourselves, how is this going to affect? Or benefit me and maybe our children. See, and while it's true, God does care about you. He cares for us as individuals. And he does answer our prayers and provides our needs. His perspective is a lot different to ours. It is no way limited like ours is. See, while we have individual purpose, God has One global purpose. See, while we have long-term goals for this lifetime, to God, he calls them short-term goals. None of us really have long-term goals. I mean, not when we compare them to God. Eternity's a long, long time. Because in the name, eternity. You've got a little dash on your thing. 70, if you're lucky or unlucky, depending on how you look at it, 90, 91. Dale just turned 91 last month. If you're lucky or unlucky, some people don't think it's lucky to live that long. I, I don't believe it's luck or unluck, by the way. I believe God hasn't, isn't finished with you yet. That's why you're still breathing. And that doesn't matter whether you're one or 101. Or beyond. God's just not finished with you yet. 
because we only ex- we, we, they only extend to one human life. He sees the real long-term, far-reaching purpose that spans generations and eternity. You see, while we plan for ourselves, God plans for his purposes that involve our great, 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 great grandkids and their great, 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 great grandkids. See, he's not just planning your life, he's planning all lives that come from you. See, we can't even imagine that far away. And God has a plan already in place for those specific people. God has a plan for every unborn child that's in somebody's womb right now. He has a plan. He still has a plan for your life too. Because you're still breathing air on this planet. We can't hardly see in front of our feet. And God sees all time and space all at once. We're so limited in what we can see, but God has a far greater plan. See, God has shown his covenant grace, his said love to both Naomi and Ruth. God demonstrates his covenant grace by preserving an outsider like Ruth and demonstrates his covenant grace by pursuing and redeeming a so-called insider like Naomi. They both needed redeemed. And he redeems them both. You see, some of us are Ruth and we didn't grow up in church and God still pursued us. And some of us are like Naomi. Someone who, is, who says they belong to God, they go to church every week. They never miss a beat, but still don't see God as sovereign. None of us are Boaz because we can't redeem us or anybody else. The greater Boaz is Jesus. But lucky for us, God has pursued us. And his said love, love brings, brings us to our knees. See, that's what it's all about. That is what it's all about. Knowing God. Knowing God is in control no matter what. It's all about what he has done for us. So this week, I want you to ask yourself these few questions. Have I ever questioned God in difficult times? And I'm sure, if you're honest, everybody can say yes to that one. How can this story of Ruth encourage me to remain faithful through my struggles, from your struggles? How can, it, how can you remain faithful? How can I be valuable to others? You can't redeem anybody like Boaz. But you can fill people's needs like Boaz filled Ruth's and Naomi's needs. You can be there for other people like Boaz. You just can't be the redeemer. You can point them to the Redeemer. How has God revealed His plan? 
of, lo- of salvation in your life. And then spend some time in, 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 in prayer thanking God for his hased and that he has never forgotten you. He has never forgotten you. He loved you before he created the universe. You were in his mind from the beginning. God, no, none of us took God by surprise. God knew who we were. God knew what we wanted, what we needed. Before he even created us. He, that's why I mean, he's way in the future already. Worrying about people that haven't even been born yet. Planning their lives. Well, actually, they're already planned because he did that at the beginning of time. So, that's what he did for you. I knitted you together in your mother's womb. All the days of your life are numbered. All of them. Not just some of them. All of them. There's only one person knows when we're going to, each one of us is going to kick the bucket. And that is God. And he's going to do that when he's finished with you. When your time is up here and he, he has no more work for you here, he's going to call you home and give you rest and give you peace. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you give us the book of Ruth. That, uh, that because you are a great God, you show your said love, covenant grace, mercy, through that book. The whole gospel is in the story. Help us to remember the better Bo- Bo- Boaz, Jesus, who come and, and redeemed us. And the only one that could redeem us in a way that we could stand in your presence one day. Because when you look at us, you don't see the broken person. You don't see the, the sin. You see Jesus, our Savior. Help us to be more like him. Help us to point people to the Redeemer. Help us to care for people like Boaz cared for people. Help us to love people like you love people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.